podcasts from Aberdeen Standard Investment Trusts. Invest in good company. Hello and welcome to this Aberdeen Standard Investment Trust podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard. With me today is Alan Gould, manager on the Standard Life Private Equity Trust. We'll be discussing the latest interim results and recent activity on the trust. Hi, Alan. Hi, Cherry. Can we start with an overview of the trust for those who might not be familiar with it? Uh, what's the investment approach and, and what differentiates it from its peers? Sure. So Standard Life Private Equity Trust, or SLEPIT as we uh, refer it to, is um, an investment trust that focuses on making investments into private equity, both via private equity funds and direct co-investments uh, into private companies. SLEPIT was launched in May 2001. So it, it celebrated its 20th birthday this year. And there are three things regarding its approach that, that I would draw attention to and have been consistent over those um, 20 years. So firstly, conviction. It is a conviction play on private equity. It isn't, um, it isn't a private equity index as such. It's a backing a relatively narrow set of, of private equity managers. We have 17 core managers in total that equate to almost three quarters of NAV. The top 10 fund investments equate to around 50% of the portfolio. So yeah, conviction is the first thing I would draw out. Secondly, specialism. Over those 20 years I refer to, SLEPIT has been focused primarily on the European mid-market. The mid-market, we think, offers great opportunity and has for, for many, many years to really add value to businesses before selling to a large trade buyer or to the, the large and mega private equity players in the market, which is where most of the capital in private equity is accumulating. But in addition, Europe, it, you know, the, the European market brings structural barriers to entry, you know, different cultures, different languages, um, different regulation, different laws. So it's not homogenous like other markets can be. And, and, and so that, yeah, really does make it harder to crack and, and, and more important that you're able to access the best managers. And then the last point I would highlight is diversification. So whilst Slepit is specialist and conviction-based, you get the sleep at night comfort of a portfolio of over 450 underlying companies, well balanced by sector, geography, uh, and maturity. Uh, for example, our largest single company exposure is, is, is less than 4%, just less than 4% of NAV. And, and really, there's a, an increasing focus on the more resilient long-term growth sectors. You know, for example, technology, healthcare, and consumer staples in, in SLEPID equate to around 50% of the portfolio. But in addition, you also have numerous recurring revenue-based business-to-business services companies on top within our industrial exposure. So, so it's a very resilient portfolio. Only two companies in the top 100, we believe, have been materially disrupted by COVID. Another good example there, and that's less than a percent of NAV. So, so yes, the, those would be the three consistent areas. That said, on top, I would probably draw out two other key points. Firstly, ESG. In the last five or six years, our focus here has massively increased. Now, SLEPIT will only partner with private equity firms that have best-in-class ESG capability or a cultural commitment to improve their ESG. All our investment papers and due diligence um, focus on, on ESG. 
is one of our one of the, the core pillars of our work and analysis when assessing new investments. All our managers undertake an annual survey, which allows us to rank them and engage where where any are falling behind. And but thankfully, in the latest survey, almost two thirds of the of the, the managers uh, scored green, which we see as positive. And then the the other point I would draw is the increase in direct investment. I mentioned this at the outset that. SLEPIT also makes investments into private equity co-investments and direct investments into, into companies. This was introduced to the investment objective in 2019. And, um, and there's lots of advantages to that. Lower costs, more control over cash deployment, more control over your sector and geographic exposure. We have a team that's been doing this for, for two decades. So it's a very logical change. And th- this, we... we believe will benefit returns moving forward. And then the last thing I guess I would draw out is, um, is the performance. Over the 20 year period, our annualized NAV total return is 10.8%. That's through the global financial crisis, through the global pandemic more recently. And in the last five years, around 16% annualized. So strong performance. It's 11 uninterrupted years of, of year on year NAV growth and outperformance to the FTSE all share across three, five and 10 years. Great. Okay, thanks, Alan. I wonder if we could look at the interim results in a bit more detail now. Can you talk through um, performance over the six month period? Yeah, happy to. Well, I would start by just summarising that the portfolio continues to perform well following the emergence of the global pandemic better than we really could have wished for when we were sitting there in sort of March, April time last year. So in the first six months of, of the financial year, which is from the, the start of October through to the, the end of March, the portfolio grew 22.9% in constant currency. Um, when you roll in the sort of FX headwind from the appreciation of, of sterling against the euro, the performance is uh, 16.9%. And that equates to a NAV total return over the six months of 14.9%. If you roll in this performance over the last 12 months, so you know basically since the emergence of, of, of COVID, the portfolio has grown 48.1% in constant currency in the context you know, of enforced lockdowns across many economies. So the size of the trust now is 873.9 million sterling of net assets. And uh, so it's, it's, it's very sizable. And the share price over the last six months has reacted as well. So it's increased 38.8% over that period. So overall, we're very pleased. And were there, were there any areas of particular strength? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, obviously, I mean, we'll come uh, on to the sort of the, the makeup of the portfolio, but our portfolio is a lot more oriented to technology and healthcare than it was in the past. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, around uh, or just shy of 40% of our portfolio is in those two sectors. And those six sectors have done very well. But yeah, more generally, I'd say that a lot of the performance has been driven by exits in our portfolio or IPOs. You, you know, over the, the last six months, the average uplift upon exits or, or IPO has been 60 3.1% in our in our books in terms of evaluation uplift. So uh, it's been a terrific market for exiting businesses. 
So in terms of our full exits in the portfolio, it's been companies such as Calypso, which is a provider of, of capital market software solutions to the financial sector. Its main sponsor being Bridgepoint, a manager that we've, we've backed for a long time. The Signature Foods, which is a, a leader in chilled convenience food. You know, its private equity sponsor being IK, again, long-term relationship of ours. And Fair Group, um, which specializes in circular food packaging, another strong exit via its sponsor, Advent International. But in terms of IPOs, I mean, we've seen some really good examples that hopefully be familiar to a number of, of the listeners. So uh, Moonpig, the UK-based online gifting business, which was around uh, a percent and a half of our of our portfolio um, listed in, in London. Dr. Martin's likewise in London, the leading consumer footwear brand. You know, that was close, that was 1.3% of our portfolio and a really strong return for Premira, who, who we backed. And uh, Allegro in Poland, it's sort of the leading online marketplace in, in, in that region and a, another strong uplift for, for, for Sinven and Premira there. Uh, and for our portfolio. So, you know, typically these listings have been at material valuation uplifts and also have provided an element of, of you know, returning cash at, at listing. And, and any sort of major changes to the portfolio over the six months, sort of new, new investments and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been active on the new investment side. So in the first six months, we've committed to three new funds. So we've got Triton Smaller Mid-Cap 2, IK Small Cap 3, and uh, PEI Mid-Market Fund 1. And all of these managers we've known for almost two decades, we regard them as blue chip, and they're all strategies focused on the lower mid-market. And that's where you'd expect us to, to continue to play, you know, backing strategies that are focused in on slightly smaller companies in the middle market but uh, where there's a real opportunity to, to add value, whether that's organically or through M&A and grow these businesses into being market leaders that will attract the larger PE houses that have you know, all this capital available or trade buyers um, that, that can pay high prices that are based on the synergies that they'll be able to create with their existing businesses. So um, we're very excited about those three funds. Um, but on the co-investment side as well, we've, we've been active and, and the pipeline there is, is looking as strong as it ever has. And so far in the financial year, we've, we've backed three new co-investments. So the first one there is uh, a business called NAMSA, which is a, a sort of, they, they call it a CRO, a sort of contract research organization that works in the medical device space, but really helps with the, the testing of medical devices and, and all the services attached to that. And that's alongside its sponsor, Archimed, who's a healthcare specialist and uh, obviously knows the space very well indeed. We also backed a, a business called Funicap, which is a, a French headquartered funeral services and crematoria business. That one there, we just regard the management team as, as very strong. The, the, the sponsors involved there, Latour and, 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 and Charterhouse, I think, are, you know, again, high quality institutions. And there is a real opportunity to grow that business via M&A. And obviously, the, the service it provides is you know, very resilient and, and, and predictable in terms of, of revenues. And then the last business, we have, we have a sort of confidentiality around it at the moment, but it's an exciting high-growth business in the technology space focused in on sort of conversational AI. 
and uh, hopefully in, in the coming months we'll we'll be able to to, to formally tell everyone what the business is and, and give a bit more detail but we're excited about that one as well okay great and have those changes made any sort of notable differences to the sector or geographic balance of the of the portfolio um I mean there's some changes around the edges but I wouldn't say there's been any notable shift in the last six months or so so if you look at our geographic balance I mean it's been well balanced for a while um so UK and the Nordics are the highest single sort of regional uh, exposure that we have so around 19% of NAV for both of those uh, regions and then you have North America at 15% and then France and Germany at 14 and, and, and 12% respectively so pretty well balanced you know really focused in on Northwest Europe and, and the more stable economies there. I think looking more kind of uh, you know over the longer term the sector has been an area that we've seen a lot of change so I referred to it a bit earlier on the main change being the increased exposure to, to tech and healthcare. Ten years ago, for example, it was around 14% of Sleppet's portfolio. Now it's 38%. And, uh, and I think there, when you combine it with, with other stable sectors, as I mentioned earlier, consumer staples, you combine those three and you're, you're at half of the book. And there's a number of resilient businesses across the other sectors as well that, that we're excited about. But... But yeah, nothing really major over the last six months, but that's more of kind of a, a longer trend. So so how would you describe the sort of overall shape of the portfolio today? I mean, how much in kind of healthcare and technology and how much in sort of the larger end and the smaller end of, of private equity? Yeah, well, I'd say the, the book is, is very focused in on its core mid-market um, segment. That said, we will continue to back mid-market managers that you know, sort of graduate into the larger end of the market. And we have done that with Advent International, for example. It's just that that end of the market, we, we probably have less conviction because of the sheer amount of capital flooding in there and how institutional the businesses already are when they arrive in that segment. We just have less conviction in terms of the opportunity to create value. So yeah, we will continue to kind of follow managers into that segment, but probably more selectively. I'd say where we are seeing a bit more of a change is we are doing more in the lower mid-market. I refer to the three funds that we we committed to in the first six months of the year being all kind of more in that lower mid-market segment. But we're also doing more in growth as well. So we're, you know, we're pursuing a, a lot more in that space just to try and get a bit more access to the businesses of the future, really, and the disruptors in various sectors. So the shape of the portfolio is still kind of very oriented to, to mid-market, still very oriented to, to Europe. It's around sort of 80% plus of managers being European, of uh, underlying companies being headquartered in Europe. So that's still the case. We've got uh, over 480 companies now, but the highest uh, exposure being um, a business called Action, which is a sort of physical discount retailer in continental Europe, but it's a phenomenal business. It just has this incredible following and, and has managed to grow through the pandemic, which is incredible for a physical retailer and kind of shows its more kind of consumer staple characteristics. People will know that because it's uh, the lead sponsor there is, is 3i and, and, and so it's a, a well-publicised sort of business. But yeah, I would, I would just again call out 
sort of in terms of the shape of the portfolio, it mostly is through funds, but co-investment continues to grow. So it's now up to 7% of NAV. We had no exposure to it in 2019 for Slippit. It wasn't part of the strategy. So we'll continue to see that grow, I suspect, or, or certainly we expect anyway. And, uh, you know, to, to closer to that sort of 20% of, of, uh, of NAV over the medium term. Okay. And um, looking at the accounts, you have around 62.5 million in cash plus an undrawn credit facility. Do you have any plans for that cash? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a bit of context, I think we should note that, um, that the level of distributions that we've received, that the company's received um, over the last sort of six to nine months has has really surprised us. And not just us, but you know most people in the market, I would say. We paused investment activity at the outset of the global pandemic, really to understand what shape was this going to take. And 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 we really didn't expect there to be much activity in private equity, but there has been. People have been able to get on and and, and really continue selling businesses and buying businesses despite the restrictions and and activity has really has, has really surprised us. And hence, distributions have come in way above our our forecasts. So we have a very good cash position right now. Our intention, though, is to we want to increase co investments. Co investments need funding upfront by and large whereas funds are, are typically drawn over a three to five year period as we do more in, in co-investment that will eat into the the cash we intend or we certainly try to be cash neutral throughout the cycle so that's how people should think about us it's it's just simply the the, the sheer um, uh, sort of weight of distributions and cash coming back to the company has has, has been surprising Okay, and also outstanding commitments are below the longer term range. Can can you just explain what they are and and why they're a, a bit below normal? Yeah, I mean, outstanding commitments is just the way that Slepid is is run and has been for twenty years. We make fund commitments, and so when you make a commitment, the funds are drawn over those sort of typically that sort of three to five year period, as I mentioned earlier, and so you have an element of your commitment to that fund outstanding at any time. So it's amounts that you're legally um, bound into supplying the, the the manager with and the fund with. So we'll always have an element of Slepit um, having commitments outstanding that it, it, it needs to fund. But yeah, I mean, we, we typically look to to have an over commitment ratio of, you know, in that 30 to, to 75% range. It is below that at the moment. It's sort of in the 20% at the moment, so it's below our range, which means that really the, the, the commitments as a percentage of NAV and are, are pretty low. I would say the, the cash position is contributing to that. It's just a consequence of the fact that our cash position is so strong and we have a 200 million undrawn facility and the fact that we paused commitments at the onset of the, the global pandemic. So we expect this to reverse over time as we make more new investments, both in terms of funds, but particularly in co-investment, the cash figure will come down and the, the over-commitment ratio will go up and um, in, to levels that we think is, is probably slightly more efficient over the longer term. 
Now, sort of zooming out into the into the wider private equity market. I mean, what what are your current views? Are you are you still seeing plenty of opportunity there? How do, how do valuations look? Yeah, we're certainly seeing lots of opportunity. It's about being disciplined. As I say, the activity levels in the industry have surprised surprised me certainly, and surprised a lot of people. There's a lot of capital going into private equity. You know, people are on the hunt for yield hunt for returns and uh, and private equity has been a strong performer over the long term and uh, but I would say a lot of that money is going into the sort of large and mega end you know there's a lot of large investors coming in and the only way that they can get access is to these very large funds that, that can accommodate large tickets actually the mid-market we feel is it's not really grown that much in terms of the sort of capital uh, available in that space, which we think is really interesting because the mid-market is the place where you can still add a lot of value to businesses and, and really increase their profitability, increase their top line growth, increase their attractiveness to trade buyers and larger private equity and to the public markets, frankly. We've seen a lot of that more recently, as, as we discussed earlier on. So a lot of opportunity. Companies are staying private for longer and public markets are shrinking in terms of number of companies so to get access to some of these businesses you know the, the you know faster growing the disruptive businesses you know they're mostly privately held so whether that's a sort of some sort of digital strategy some technology whether it's healthcare and or, or or things that are more sustainability focused you know the private market is 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 the place to find that and get access to that and just finally, I mean, what what role do you see private equity playing in in a sort of broader equity and bond portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I I view it primarily as a diversifier um, at a time when traditional markets are becoming more correlated. As I mentioned earlier, I think it's really important that people note that companies are staying private for longer um, compared to what they did in the past. You know. Amazon sort of listed at, I can't remember exactly, but sort of $500 million. Amazon today, if it was coming through, would be listing at, at several billion at much later stage when a lot of the, the value uh, has been taken. So I would continue to stress that. And, and as I mentioned before, continue to stress the sort of innovation. You know, the world is changing in very, very quickly, particularly on the back of the, the global pandemic. And a lot of these disruptive businesses are are privately held. Great. Okay. Thank you so much, Alan, for those insights. You can find out more about the trust at www.slipit.co.uk. That's S-L-P-E-T. And once again, thank you all for tuning in. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments of products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. 
Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.